Being a lot of individual training, something we never would have thought of. But I've seen you've been doing different runs and stuff across social media and stuff. What kind of running are you up to these days now? With trying to keep yourself fit. Yeah, kind of changed things up a little bit. Um, more so just out of boredom. Um, that it was an opportunity to try different types of runs. Um, when probably individual training was coming out, and you've a lot of tempo runs where you're on for two minutes off for two and 30 seconds all this kind of thing and I kind of had built a base in Australia where some of the pre-season running that we done was all blocked into 1Ks and 800s 400s 200s 150s um, and it was done off pace or times for for each of them um, so some of the paces uh, starting off early in the season for a 1K it was maybe 23 seconds per 100 um, which would be nice would be slow enough easy maintain that pace and then as the season would build or the pre-season build up and um, the pace would change or the distances would drop down um, so early on you're trying to go more in, uh, longer endurance stuff um, and then work your way down to 400s and 200s and, and your rest times but I suppose the last, latest one that i done was um, 85 metres and uh, 15 seconds to make that and then you had 15 seconds off um, so just a tempo run um, so a block of eight of those and then a rest so that was it's funny the different blowout that you get from doing a run like that and let's say at 20 seconds on 20 seconds off or uh, 400 meters and um, work to rest ratio one to one there so if it takes you a minute and 20 seconds to do it minute and 20 seconds off so just playing with different times and with different distances and um, furthest I ran was uh, we had a uh, what do you call it a fundraiser for the club back in the first lockdown and we we done just how much could you run in for I think the whole club run for an hour or run for whatever time and add up all the distance and I think I ran 15 or 16 kilometers but never again was going to do that and um, like I was was never trying 5k's or 10k's because something that I, I feel it's counterproductive if you're trying to play Gaelic football um, so I was kind of more sticking to maybe a 1k time trial or even done a, a 3k but keeping it on the shorter side um, so that's that's kind of been tipping away at that but have been getting different programs um, and I kind of touched base with uh, one of the guys uh, Owen McGuire there um, that would have been previous strength and conditioning coach with Langford um, and worked with him uh, when I had taken the year out from, from county this year and got a programme and that was kind of where, where it all stemmed from. And I suppose the 5Ks have been more popular than ever um, all during, I suppose, the third lockdown nowadays. But I think that's something a lot of players kind of and people across the country got bogged down at at the start. 
I think so. I think it was probably very easy to the, the distance you were allowed to go from your house was 5k and you could run that. Um, and 5k was something that oh, geez, it's, it's handy, it's a short time, um, and it's easy to do um, and easy to track within reason. And um, but it's funny too, you see a lot of the times there, there's some lads that should have been in the Olympics or running mm-hmm. the European Championships last weekend. Um, with some of the times they were doing um, whether apps are off or that um, or there's a fair bit of stopping going on in between so it was kind of I'd be very meticulous in in my training and preparation and stuff like that um, so when it comes to measuring out it's like it's trundle wheel and um, it's you know you're not going off the phone and not going off a watch um, it's every every time if you, you need to measure something, the trundle wheel is out, so you can't go wrong. There's no Jesus. How did I trim ten seconds off that uh, compared to last time? I'm sure the distance was the same. So um, I'm kind of one of the things that I would have brought back from Australia was I had a heart rate monitor um, for for those kind of sessions was was big. Um, so that and a watch and. Do you know, that's kind of my go-to um, for training, heart rate training, that you have your strap and your watch and you can see whether you're putting in the work or see where your body's at. Um, and I, I use that for every session, gym, um, running, odd non-contact pitch session, I'd, I'd stick it on as well. Um, because it just gives you an idea where you're at, what, what you're doing from week to week that you can say, right, Jesus, you know what? Um, I've done a lot this week. I can take tomorrow as a rest day. Or um, just I didn't sleep well last night. I was planning on doing a big session. Do you know what? Might be best off tapering that back and doing it on a different day. And I suppose that's the joy in what um, the situation has at the moment with COVID that you can adapt and change your training session um, according to how you feel, how you feel, and even circumstances in life um, whether it be a rough sleep or something um, and you just rather than tearing and racing around trying to go Monday, Wednesday, Friday, Sunday uh, with games and training um, and trying to make them and not being at your, your max um, so I've enjoyed that side of things And you mentioned there managing your training, this lockdown do you feel it giving players time to reassess and manage their load a bit better as well you're not coming and going all the time which makes a huge difference I think so I think there's kind of a bit of both really at the moment that um, you're trying to manage um, you're trying to manage both sides of things um, between family life and, and, and work and then also the football side of things and I think uh, one of the things that kind of has jumped out that she's there's a lot of time gone um, and wasted um, and that just managing that time better. Um, do you know, is it necessary to do a group gym session together or two groups gym sessions a week? Yeah. Do you know, do you need to be catching up for meetings or going for training at six in the evening and not getting back until half 10 at night? Um, do you know, and not to mention, let's say the traveling up to Dublin to do a training session um, and coming back at half 11 at night. Uh, are, are, are those actually necessary are you actually getting the benefit um, out of them that you kind of think or is it just oh, well every other team are training and we need to train and it kind of opens up your eyes that that bit of freshness is way more important than actually 
I think there's a, a culture almost, and I see it, I'm still doing it myself, that dogging, that, Jesus, I didn't get a sweat up there. I need to dog myself. I need to, I need to torture myself to, to, to feel good. Um, which, you know, it's, it's, it's the furthest thing from the truth, really, that you just kind of, if you manage things accordingly and, and consistently, um, that you'd hope that that the end product will, will be there rather than, okay, get fit quickly, quick fix, um, no more than, okay, we're back, we have four weeks to, to get up to pace. And ideally, if lads are doing what they're supposed to do and managing themselves um, accordingly, then that four weeks, it shouldn't be any issue. It's just a matter of playing ball and getting the eye in, really. And nobody could have imagined going to, say, individual training. How have you found it yourself in going from that team environment to individual training? Definitely. Uh, that's one of the, the sides that I've, I've said to myself and even to Kate here as well, that when when the team does, or you do finish playing team sport, that um, that camaraderie, that I think that's what every person that retires or walks away misses that. Um, you know, when, when they do step back, that you're missing that bit of camaraderie um, and beating 30 lads twice, three times a week. Like, you don't have that network. Um, and trying to deal with that and manage it is massive. Um, so just touching base with lads um, on a regular basis that you can kind of keep in and how are you doing with training-wise, what are you doing? Um, and trying to have a training partner, um, whether it's going for training together, if you can, um, you know, and keeping your distance going for a run outside um, or if it's just comparing each other's times and sessions and stuff like that that how do you find that session was it tough yeah I thought it was handy wasn't too bad and you can kind of gauge where you're at um, but I think that side of things is something that you know, I think everyone's struggling with um, from under eights the whole way through to seniors um, uh, and that's why I think it's probably naive of us to think that I'll get into county back like do you know, I think the from the kids' point of view, their whole lives has been turned upside down. I think most from a senior side of things or an adult that it's been turned upside down too. But you know, you'd hope that you've built up enough of a network and enough of life skills to be able to deal with it a lot better than than young kids. And that's what probably from the teaching side of things that you see that you don't want to see. Um, you don't want to see anyone upset or anxious or worried or nervous or um, not dealing with things uh, as well as they, they could. And I think the sooner sport um, gets back for, for kids and that, the better for everyone. And you've been um, busy as well with the skills videos um, on your Twitter throughout the social media. Is it something you feel where we're not seeing enough skills being implemented in air games? Yeah, I think it's funny too. Um, I think most coaches across the country, they, they know what needs to be done. And I think how it's done and implementing it and everything is small-sided games is the big thing. Um, and it's been proven and research has shown that small-sided games... But putting that into practice, um, you know, of small-sided games, right, under eights, we're going to play a small-sided game of seven-a-side, right? Games is the way forward. 
throwing hundred eights into a game, fourteen kids, one ball, pure carnage, um, running round, chasing things, or chasing well, chasing things. Distracted here, but exactly chasing things between handstands and chasing each other and forgetting about the ball. Like that's what's going to happen. So I think the small sided games, yes, it's it's massive and it is a huge section. But I think what happens or I feel has happened is that we're bypassing actually the play or the skill side of things, just experiment and trying different things with everyone with a ball. That you know, when's the last time you see a senior team, everyone with a ball, just practicing, trying different things, flick ups, tricks, solo and dummy right, dummy left. The the big novelty is get straight into games and everyone wants to play games. But I feel that if kids, right through the seniors, if you haven't got the individual skills built up, there's a lot of that, that when you go into small sided games, that no matter what you do, if you don't have that skill base, you're going to really struggle. Um, and I think that's a point that I think a lot of people are missing that, yes, when you have a certain level of skill built up, then small-sided games are the way to go to progress from there. But I think there has to be a basic basic fundamental movement skills. You have to have that base first, running, hopping, skipping, jumping, landing, falling, all those different things. Build that first. Then your individual skills for a game, solo and with your right and left hand, uh, foot, left hand pass, right hand pass, left kick, right kick, high catch, ground balls. You try and skip that section there and go into the small side of the game. Um, it's, it, you're not really getting the opportunity to practice them. Um, whereas if you go at those first and foremost, then I think a lot will follow. Um, and I think everyone's kind of keen to almost oh should everyone should have that fundamental movement skills the basic skills everyone has that and then it's just the cream of the crop that can kind of run those small games that the one or two guys that are really tall or girls that are really tall and physically stronger than other kids then if if those small sided games are put in and they're going to come to the fore and a lot are going to be left behind so I kind of I'm passionate about the individual skill side of things, and that's probably where a lot of the skill videos or skill challenges came from. That um, I would have done a lot in Australia again, or picked up a lot of coaching points and tips. That you know, the hand pass is a skill that I think it completely neglected, um, not by everyone, but in a lot of quarters in Ireland or a lot of teams. That okay, we well, hand pass, we don't need to practice that. There's you know, or what is a hand pass? Like some guys are able, Kieran Kilkenny, it's an unorthodox technique that he has, but he's able to fire a hand pass 20, 25 yards off both sides. And, um, you know, that skill isn't actually taught. Um, standing against the wall five, 10 meters away or two meters away, it would gradually build it up to increasing the distance but I think there's skills like that that are overlooked everyone looks at the Jeremy Connolly kick pass inside to was it Kieran Kilkenny um, a couple of years ago in dollar in the final over the top mm -hmm. and through for a point it's brilliant it looks great um, but there's so many more skills in that that okay that skill is brilliant that kick pass the catch the way Kieran Kilkenny caught it cuts onto his left foot 
left foot kick. Uh, but simple things like if you look at any goal opportunity that has came in championship in the last 10 years, it's usually came from a quick hand pass from a forward to a runner off the shoulder. Um, and that's quick hands off both sides. Andy Moran's a prime example of a target man that can hit those quick hand passes. But what do, what do kids and what do players do to develop them? And that's where I feel is, is an area that we're, uh, we're quite behind on. Absolutely, some great points made there. And I know with your skills videos, you're, you're trying to incorporate enjoyment in because someone can quite easily well kick a ball against the wall and get fed up then within five minutes. So there has to be some sort of enjoyment for coaches, I suppose, to put the youngsters or anyone to bring the enjoyment into skills. Definitely. And I think probably from, from my mantra or principles as a teacher and, and a, as a coach, um, or say it would be to make it fun and make it competitive. Um, do you know, if, if you have one ball, uh, that how can you make that competitive for, for that person? Okay, are they competing against themselves? Um, right. Okay, so you can go for a time or you can go for score or go for targets. Try and implement little conditions to, to make it challenging. Um, and hopefully those conditions and challenges will make it fun for that person. Um, and that's probably the way I would have looked at it. Um, and a lot of it then is the other side of things too that the play aspect of it, the, to just make, make a skill, make a, come up with a new skill. Like everyone says it's right foot, left foot, left hand, right hand, high catch, low catch. Who's to say that you can't kind of try and steer the boat in a different direction and come up with a different style of a kick or a different style of a flick up or a catch or a hand pass. And that there are skills that I think, you know, the game changes and with the game that changes, the skills will change too. So the new rule with um, the the mark inside the 45, the style of a kick um, probably does promote the outside of the boot or an undercut, um, almost like a golf shot where it's backward spinning and it floats um, and it has a nice trajectory. And um, that promotes that style of a kick. Um, which I love the fact that I love it on the outside of the boot. Um, but it also promotes that running through a ball and catching it and going for the catch rather than kind of a safe, almost a safe chest mark. Um, sometimes taking it out in front that it can't be spoiled or even batting it down to yourself, winning that primary ball that you can actually get um, a free shot on goal. So, you know, it, the game changes. And with that, you, you like to try and be always forward thinking and seeing how can you go about things to 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 keep stay ahead of the game or even change things up and, and keep things keep things fresh. And looking at your own career and um, you played a lot of soccer when you were younger and um, as well as Gaelic football obviously but do you feel the mixture between them two sports have helped you massively? A hundred percent. And I wish I, I kind of, I wish I was still able to mix it a little bit more as kind of, I, I still kept going through it, that it wasn't just coming back and playing Gaelic football when I came back from Australia, that I wasn't able to duck off and play a little bit of rugby or a little bit of soccer um, to kind of to hone in on different things, you know, 
like your footwork um, in soccer there, you know, even that touch that you have um, that you build up from soccer, selling dummies and the feel of the ball off your boot. Uh, and then the rugby side of things that it's just a freshening up and you're learning different tackling techniques and your footwork again. Um, and it's like Sakir and Donaghy and other guys that went off the basketball side of things that, you know, there's so much that can be learned from other sport. Um, and that's something that when I eventually do finish playing, I do hope to to test out or try different sports as a player, but also that you can try them out as a coach too and bring ideas back um, to Gaelic football, um, whether it's from AFL, basketball, soccer, rugby, and um, that there's so many different avenues that you could head with keeping the game fresh and, and changing things up um, and being creative. Um, and I suppose that's probably what I love most about the playing and, and the kind of coaching side of things that, you know, it doesn't have to be um, what everyone says it is, uh, you know, okay, we need to do this, we need to do this, that, you know, soccer at the moment, the high press on kickouts is, everyone's doing it. Um, the idea of a, a keeper kicking a ball along from a, a kickout now seems a little bit strange in, in soccer, which back in the day going short was was crazy. Um, and the way teams are pressing up high, um, Gaelic football has been doing that for the last number of years, but soccer has kind of really came to the fore with doing it last year or so, um, and risk versus reward. So um, I enjoy that side of things from a coaching side, side of things and from a player that, Okay, you're always trying to think of new ways or come up with solutions or or ways around things. And do you feel, especially in Ireland, that we can be guilty of saying you can only play football, you can't play them two sports, that we should be a bit more open of different players playing as many sports as they want really? Definitely. Um, I, th- I think... The split season coming in now is massive at the moment um, to try and help with club and county side things. But I think the best way for me, I was looking at it from even a, a teaching point of view that the way your your year is broken down, but even as sport as a whole, that you know your, your Gaelic or your rugby season, let's say it could be a three three month, two to three month window from let's say August, September, October, then you're into basketball in November, December, January. Then you're into uh, soccer, February, March, April. Then you're into your, your Gaelic football then, May, June, July, and whatever fall in between after that. And um, that you kind of, you pick your sports or that. I think there's a, an issue that is very hard for different organisations that it's always a competition against each other. Um, whereas if... If organisations were doing things correctly and to a certain level that you'd hope that you will lose players um, regardless. You're going to lose players to other sports. You're going to lose players from uh, burnout or walking away. But that if you make it fun and enjoyable and competitive for kids um, of all ages, that they will eventually come back at whatever age, 15, 16, 17, that they're going to focus on that sport and that once they have a taste for all the other sports, then do you know what? They're going to be better players in the long run. And you can see that across the board. You look at all the different players that have 
played a multitude of sports that they're better players for it and that sometimes you might lose one but you might gain gain one that you weren't expecting or gain a better player as such or make a player better in the long run and you're in the AFL with Edmonton how do you look back and reflect on that? Um, yeah like it's it's funny too that you kind of I always said oh no regrets no regrets you're going to have you're going to have thoughts there Jesus I wonder now if I was still out there or if I if my career went you're going to have those different things but um, I suppose a big thing for me um, and why I play with Longford play with my club um, is you play it for family because I enjoyed um, the enjoyment that it gives my family and friends to, to go to games and watch games and uh, you know that chat afterwards when you're sitting down with a cup of tea or even if it's a win that you have that family and that network around you and with the wins and the losses I think um, that's that's the big thing that we kind of forget about and, and read Tom Parsons article recently and he mentioned that and touched on it brilliantly that you know it's it's the journey of both, um, even though you d- didn't come away with an All-Ireland medal that, you know, what it, what it gives you and the friendships that you build up. But that was something that was I kind of felt that towards the end or even in my second year, uh, not having that, that your family there with you and that you're coming home from games and you're on the phone and it's not the same. Um, they got out to a few games and that, but... It, it wasn't the same having them there, but reflecting on it, look at I think it made me a better, better person mostly, and that I grew up and matured an awful lot quicker, and um, because of it, you know, packing your bags and and heading off to Australia at eighteen years of age, and um, you know, the first time I went for a trial, packing the sun cream and it's winter over there, <laughs> you you learn uh, you learn the hard way, and. Um, you know, with lads looking at you, um, but you kind of you grow up a lot quicker. And some of the the people that I met and and would have built friendships with over there, um, just it was it was brilliant. Um, and to live that lifestyle of getting up and going training in the morning, and obviously the better weather, um, and coming home in the evening, and and that's what that's what your job was to say that you were a professional athlete for for three years. That's something that. Um, I'll always look back on. Um, obviously, probably things wouldn't have panned out the way I would have liked in my final year. Um, last year, two two of my grandparents passed away, and one in my second year, and it kind of just it hit home the whole being that far away. Um, I came home in my second year for uh, my granny's funeral, and um, that was in January. So just in pre-season and then my other two uh, grandparents passed away at different stages in my final year. And that kind of in middle of season and I was lucky enough to have Kate out there with me for, for one of those that just it makes makes you feel very lonesome um, that you're not there. You, you feel like you're always almost feel that you're, you're selfish, that you're off doing your own thing um, and you're not there for your family. Um, and that's something that the homesickness side of things um, really, really took hold probably in, in my third year. Um, but reflecting on it, um, you got lots, lots of positives from it. Um, 
and you know three years of of living a professional lifestyle kind of made me a better player and a better person from it and would you notice a big difference when you're returning out to Gaelic football and you do try to compare the two between Gaelic football and AFL obviously AFL being a professional sport but do you notice a massive difference between Gaelic football and AFL um yeah yeah look at it it is like it's a big um massive pitch um being fit um if you don't have that you're not playing um like you know there's a time where the one game with gps i think i ran 18 kilometers um you know and the the quarters were was it 25 minute quarters or 20 and with the stoppages they could run 32 33 minutes so you're playing for over 120 minutes um with the interchange it does help but the interchange it just gives you a rest so you can go faster for longer <laughs> um you know that you're not plodding around or saving yourself and um, so there was that kind of mentality back then that it was you know it was how far could you run almost in the game um and probably caught up in that a little bit and probably even the way I'm talking uh, about the training that I was doing still is that little bit of that too that you're trying to okay I've done 10 400s today I'll do 12 tomorrow or next week and you know there is that element of it and um, that you kind of get lost in the fitness side of things and forget about the skill and the nutrition and the recovery um, but I do I do think uh, they're similar um, and I think AFL has kind of came back around too that you know hitting those top speeds um, and quick movement of the ball and fast players um, and skillful players that it kind of, the game changes and I think they're very similar in the way they're changing um, and going through phases of maybe five, six years of, okay, big thing, kind of talk about Northern football and kind of gang tackling um, and putting on muscle size. That was a big thing probably five, ten years ago, whereas now you look at players and they're a lot more leaner to cover that distance and be quicker. Um, so I do think they kind of feed off each other that what's happening in the AFL kind of translates back to Gaelic football very quickly a year or two after or vice versa. There's something that's happening in Gaelic football that a coach might have picked up on that, geez, that's something that we can use. And there's a lot of transferable skills there. Absolutely. And uh, I suppose if we're to look at your longer career before, before we do, um, Congress happening a week or two ago um, and no decisions really changing with the Leinster Championship. And when you see the joint captain rule uh, being getting rid of, does it annoy you as a player when the Leinster Championship is just being left the way it is? Yeah, look, it's probably, I think it's a book where with and not just the Leinster Championship, but in general, um, the way certain things like that, you know, joint captain wouldn't have been high up on the list. Um, I suppose it's probably from a COVID side of things, but um, I don't know if it's, I don't know what analogy you use to describe it. That it, it's just something that it was, it was there. It's an easy one, right? Take, take the box exercise there and. But don't address other elephants in the room. Um, 
do you know, I think that's down to to Leinster Council more so as far as they know than um than Congress, but I suppose getting getting motions through and stuff like that is a side of things that when you start looking into it or you pay the more attention you pay to it, the more frustrated you get with it. So sometimes I think, well, probably me and General Dostridge approach the head in the sand seems to work best. Just keep keep the head down and, and plow on. Um, so, yeah, look at, you kind of do, you look for um, the rub of the green and get a nice draw that you can play more games. And that's been something for, from our point of view, the last number of years has been, okay, get a nice draw and let's, let's maybe hopefully get two, three games in Leinster um, and depends on your side, can you get to Leinster final, which is something that we haven't done in a long, long time. Um, but I think the, the most disheartening thing with that is when you're sitting back in November, December and the All-Stars have just been announced and the following week or Friday night, the, the Leinster Championship draw takes place and you're back in pre-season maybe four or five weeks dogging it out with doing your runs and tackle squares and everything and then the draw comes in and you're like okay we're on a good side or a bad side and you're like oh, but that's not until May so we'll keep dogging a bit more um, <laughs> things like that they're the kind of things like um, a draw I know it has to be made in advance and that but that was they're the real kind of bugbears or sickeners that you're like, Jesus, right. And you see, they're 100%. They're the, when something like that comes through, it's like, right, uh, fringe player, is it worth hanging around for that? Probably not. And then you see lads drifting off maybe after an Aberdeen Cup or, or after the league, that's right. Is there any point in staying in it for the long haul? So there's definitely ways and means that things need to change. And look at the second year Talshin Cup, if that's going to happen this year or not. Um, <laughs> how'd that disappear? Yeah. Shoddy, shoddy cowboy builders. <laughs> um, so, yeah, second year competition, if that's going to happen or not, um, that's going to be uh, going to be interesting. Look, I, I think for the likes of Lanford, it's something that uh, that could be very beneficial in the long run but the year that's in it I think introducing the second year competition might be the best um, the best year to do it with the way COVID is and probably buy-in and everything and the interest mightn't be exactly there with the way things are And do you feel the biggest issue in Leinster is just overall the uneven funding among all the counties apart from government? Uh, yes and no. Look at it's another another big elephant in that room. Um, yeah, um, it's it's a numbers game. Um, from population to funding to money that they're able to raise. Um, there's definitely it's a it's a it's a snowball effect that probably has kind of got to the stage where it's the main talking point at the moment where things are at and is is there ever going to be um a change up um are, are Dublin going to be able to be caught um and we're only talking about you know senior football at the moment but 
is that going to keep developing now where it's going to be senior hurling, uh, men's, uh, female or ladies football, ladies hurling, you know, and and is that going to keep going the way it's going? So I do think uh, it's a big issue. I The other side of things is there's probably funding and um, stuff that has gone on in a lot of counties that haven't been done well at all. Um, you know, whether that be... Um, County facilities, um, you know, coaching, um, you know, that there's been probably a lot of mismanaged funds or money that has kind of hasn't been used to the best ability. And, you know, I think credit for credit is due to Dublin. What they have done has been, they've done it well. Um, but the argument then is they had the money to do it. So, um, look, if there's... It's 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 fairly split. I do think that um, counties need massive support now more than ever. Um, I think the time has come to to change things up. There was I don't know why uh, was it Sean Kelly that was involved at the time for uh, put the plan in place to try and help GA in Dublin. That it's going to be needed across the country now. Um, and. My big worry for the likes of Lamford is that it just keeps drifting and drifting. Second tier competition comes in um, and funding is kind of cut or that it's not at the same level and you're not going to have the same standards um, or never get back up to a, a first tier standard that you'll always be second tier and, and things just gradually drop off. Um, but the other side of things, I think um, there's probably too much of an emphasis on on winning at an underage level from clubs right through to the county um, that underage success doesn't necessarily mean um, senior success that um, and that's something that I think a lot of clubs and the top clubs and counties are doing really well that developing the, the players as individuals and players rather than this okay well we won three minor titles in a row um, brilliant will we'll definitely win seniors now that it doesn't work that way um, you know if, if you're winning things easy uh, at underage and then and uh, get the senior and that little bit of oh, job that sticky area from from minor to senior that okay it's tough to break through and it's hard to get onto a senior team let's just quit and walk away that those are skills that if they're not developed um, and from underage up that bit of resilience that um you know those seniors or those successes aren't really going to stand to you in the long term. And you mentioned the Townsend Cup could be introduced whenever it is and it'd be a huge positive even for the weaker counties. But can it be hard to motivate yourself as a player with the way the system is at the moment? Um I think so. I think everyone wants to play more games. Um, well, I'd love to play more games on a bigger stage um, and and test yourself. Um, you know, everyone wants to test themselves against the best. Um, how, how do you do that? A once-off um, affair, David versus Goliath, um, Longford versus Dublin, Croke Park, every three, five years where... 25 points, 19 points, I think 23 points was the other one. Does that was that actually beneficial or helped me as a player? In some sense, yeah. It 
geez, it kind of opens your eyes and sees, okay, well, this is where we're at. We need to get way above it. Um, but it also shows that we might be able to sustain it for a certain length of time, but that lasts 20 minutes or 30 minutes or 65 minutes. Um, that, you know, there comes a point where that learning isn't there. And my big bugbear is when you play a game like that, you're into the qualifiers, you're sitting waiting for four or six weeks before your next game. Um, and then morale drops and, and dealing with it um, or qualifiers and you lose a game and you're sitting waiting for six months for your next game. Um, that the learning takes place when you're right back on it and playing another game very quickly that's right, off we go again. Um, and that's why the league is so so valuable that you see teams that put in a massive result one week um, and get a performance and then the following week they can back it up or, you know, there was a blip in the pan where they, they, they lost uh, a game that they should have won and then the following week they come out all guns blazing when they're rolled off as, as um, underdogs and they win that. So I think there's a lot to be said for that, playing a game in quick succession. So that's why this, the structure, the way it is, it doesn't really cater for that that learning or that improvement side of things for, for the likes of ourselves in, in Leinster. Do you think you mentioned the quick succession games, easy to gather momentum, but do you think even you see in games in Leinster, you can play a game one week and then you might play to three weeks. It can even be hard to know what to do as a player within them three weeks. Yeah. Um, do you know, we were kind of, it's funny too, it works both ways for from the side of things as a, a depth of a squad. And, you know, we ran Kildare to draw extra time and a draw after extra time two years ago now. Um, and, you know, we, we had our chances, um, you know, but we were out the following week against them again. So recover and go again. Um, and they kind of just they had the probably probably had the conditioning on us um, across the board that they got to run us in the second game and just hadn't hadn't got it on the legs in the second day um, and they probably a few changes um, on their on their starting 15 and then had subs to bring on um, and that's probably where the other side of things that you kind of get caught um, so playing games week in week out um, with a tight panel or a small panel um, can can be counterproductive absolutely and like Yourselves as long for footballers, you've had some great wins um, over the years, but like the results against Mead and Monaghan and Down, where you overcome them, you must look back at them with great satisfaction because it's not something that happens all the time where David does lead to the life. Definitely, they're the ones that you do take away. Like they're, we're, I think we're kind of an exception to a lot of a lot of teams in the qualifiers that. We are banana skin um, for teams there, and we've we've picked off. I think we've picked off. I wasn't about for it, but Mayo would be even another one there that we would have picked off. And um, Derry down and um, Monaghan um, and those games that you, you remember them, you go back to them um, because they're almost your finals. Um, but it's funny too that if you're to ask me who we played um, the week after. Um, I couldn't tell you 
or remember and um, because you almost treat them as a final and it's almost like buried in the back of your mind what happened probably lost by seven or eight points to someone um, but and it wasn't talk about or a meeting or a review the following year it was like right it was a great win let's build on it and um, whereas that's kind of the area where right just you always finish on a losing note um, unless you're all Ireland finalists um, and I suppose that's the kind of reflection side of things that from a, a county side of things that needs to probably be done better from ourselves to, to reflect on, on areas that needed improvement, especially on the last game. Um, you know, I think it was Kildare was one year we played them in, in Pierce Park and um after I think that was after Monaghan Cork was another one. Um, but you know, those games, if you look back on them, what were the learning points from it? Um I couldn't tell you their DVDs that I didn't want to know about. <laughs> Well, the Mullinocka story of beating Kilmer could, as long for footballers, would you ever try to get belief off that story? Yeah, definitely. Um, do you know, you, you kind of, you do take from it, um, like the, what they achieved, it's, I don't think, you can't imagine, and you think if someone told you, oh, you could do that, and you're like, no, I was like, sure, Mullinocka done it. It's what they had done, um, and done it on a consistent basis, like they they were underdogs the whole way up through um who they bet and road. Um I think Lomans was another one they bet that year. Um and they just had that belief. And I suppose that's creating that belief um and that culture within a team is, you know, um there's certain managers that and, and coaches and uh, psychologists and people that are going to get paid lots for being able to develop something like that in a team or in an environment. Um, and look at Mickey Graham, what he done with Calvin this year, that he's a, he's a special individual that has a way about himself that dealing with, with people that he was able to do that in two, two different teams and two equally, um, I'd almost say, uh, achievements that I don't know if you were to ask Mickey Graham, which would he prefer or which was most meant most to him was it Mullinata or Cavan um, he probably he wouldn't answer because he told better not to <laughs> um, but there's there's something that uh, he's obviously the key to both and um, Longford in the last few years you've been so close to Division 3 promotion close to Leash as well um, in 2020 but there must be a real sense of objective now to try and get out of Division 3? Yeah, look, we're kind of one of the goals um, when we got back up there was to, to keep going, see if we could go again and, you know, at the same time, there's times there where certain teams had came down and you tough draw four away games and three home and sometimes you're just trying to hang on by the skin of your teeth in that division that, you know, if you go down and try and get back up um, sometimes that's twice as hard and um, that's you know there's two years gone and straight away there so look at I think you really want to push and push on for for division two but I do think we're kind of at a stage now um, where the squad has kind of there's been a trend, transition phase and there's probably a few old dogs like myself that are still there and you're trying to 
bring a few more up. Um, I do think we're kind of at a stage with with lads that um, you're wary that are the numbers or, or the players coming through to kind of stay there and push on. And um, because I think looking back on probably 2015, uh, even 20. 2018, sorry, 2018 was when uh, we lost to Fermanagh the last kick of the game um, and that would have put us up um, do you know that we had a squad that could have competed the following year <coughs> excuse me, in Division 2 whereas I do think a lot of those players have, have walked, walked away or retired since then um, and not having that squad as we talked about, you know, when you when you get up to that division two, that you really do need need twenty top quality players, um, rather than relying on on the same same regulars because it's going to be a lot more demanding on the on the body. And you took a year out in twenty twenty. Um, why was that that you decided to take a year out? Yeah, look, I think um, I. The year took out. I I missed the last the last league game against Derry, um, and the game against Cork was thrown or postponed, um, as a result of COVID and that, um, and then two championship games, Leash and Loud, uh, so three games. But it was after playing the full uh, league and winning an Aberdeen Cup. Uh, as well so it kind of treated us just a little highest that I just kind of headed off for, for a little bit but um, baby daughter born uh, in October so in the middle of the whole thing um, and we had seen things kind of been play with the club uh, and a close contact uh, case had, had creeped up uh, the week I think it was 10 days or a week, two weeks before Kate was uh, was due. And uh, that just really opened my eyes that I could have missed missed the birth of, of Alice and not been there for Kate um, as a result of probably just a careless, uh, careless kind of act by a player or that resulted in you being caught up in it. And it kind of just opened my eyes that Look, there's more important things than than a couple of games, and um, you know you can step back here. Uh, that was that was definitely one thing, and then probably just the way things were going with COVID, um, and then with the whole club issue that had cropped up, but uh, been suspended, and it was you know what step back. I'm enjoying life, training, um, and happy enough the way things are. That the way everything had panned out, that I wasn't going to be racing back um, and gone four or five evenings a week to training um, and not been there able to support support the family at home. And you mentioned the club issue um, and widely talked about, but when the club is hit with a proposed 48-week ban, were you just thinking, is this actually happening? Like, like question, is it real? Oh yeah, you kind of don't know. This will this will be it. they'll get this sorted. <clears throat> um, no bother. It'll be sorted the next week, and then a couple of weeks passed, and then it's still dragging on, and then you're kind of sitting on your hands. And 
wait and see. No, no, good will come out in the end. It'll, you know, the right thing will happen. Um, you know, two rounds don't make a right. Um, it'll all, it'll all fall into place here. But um, it's amazing to a situation like that that's still ongoing. Or you know, it was the suspension was dropped, and you know there's reports issued, blah blah blah, and I still have yet to see the full outcome of where that is at or what's going to happen um, from behind the scenes is that just a line drawn in the sand and oh yeah sure look we'll, we'll carry on um, whereas realistically the, the county championship would have been finished um, if that hadn't happened whereas there's a backlog of two semi-finals and a final still to be played is that going to happen um, and that's probably the talk at the moment uh, when is that going to happen but the original issue still isn't addressed or fixed, and I suppose it's something that your it's your your suspension has has been lifted, so you're not passing any heat in it. But you know, right by right, is that not the the first thing that needs to be addressed? And um, so, uh, look at once the suspension was lifted and we were back. It's kind of like right, let's just get on with it. Um, and there's there's people there to to fight that battle or hopefully fix what's going on behind the scenes because um look at stuff like that shouldn't be happening um and look at there's there's probably a lot more to it than than met the eye um on both sides and every side um so look at it was one of those things that was just glad this common sense prevailed and um, it's amazing how long it took that common sense to to prevail. Yeah, and then, uh, finally, um, just to finish up, um, two quick fire questions for you. And who would you say so far during your career is the best player uh, you've played with? Um, play Paul Barton. Um, you know, Paul Barton was just uh, grew up going to games with my dad and uncle watching them and traveling down to Carlo and down to Waterford watching games and just remember remember things that seeing him do in games and like how um to remember him scoring a point where he took a kick out of his own keeper and his own 21 and this he ran the length of the pitch and scored a point and you know just from training alongside him um he's such a quiet uh, character that um you know he just gets on with it whatever happening in training or in the game that just get on with it. He, he'll just keep going um and he he had this just he he had this knack to always break a line um but break a line for a goal and um, you know there's you've line breakers i suppose probably for myself i kind of consider myself a line breaker um out the field where you go from half back to midfield or even just inside 45 but he had a knack of finding himself coming on to the end of a ball at pace that he threw on goal um, and it's a skill that another skill is like, how do you do that? Like, yes, you know, another skill that we we talked about. Um, how do, how do you go about teaching someone to do that? Um, and can you teach someone to do it? But probably going back to 2015 or sorry, 2012, um, my first year back from Australia uh, was always a full forward before I went to Australia. And Glenn Ryan stuck me in centre back. It was kind of an area I think that he felt that might suit me and an area that the team needed someone there um, and in Mark and Paul Barden um, that was my 
my learning curve. Um, and there's times there, Friday nights before games, um, where we maybe play 15, 20 minutes of a game and I come away with Paul after scoring one three on me. Um, it's like, I'm not a centre-back. This, this is stupid. And that year I got nominated for an all-star with Paul. Um, and you know, it was as a result of marking him and training and kind of going toe-to-toe with him on a regular basis that you learn your trade or your craft from him um, and you wouldn't have came across too many in the same calibre. And um, your toughest opponent um, so far in your career? Yeah, I'll probably mentioned before, Kieran Kilkenny was definitely um, probably go back to your, your toughest days and your toughest days are usually the ones that are stick in your mind because for a reason um, and probably big losses against Dublin um, or even certain things that would have happened in the game that you kind of uh, look back and say, like, how would I have done that better? Or, Jesus, he got me. Um, you know, and a lot of it wasn't really... Um, you know, one-on-one, you can kind of you try and, and, and match as best you could and, and even going the other way. But just general gameplay and smarts, you know, pulling you way back down the field to, to stop you getting involved in your own attack. Um, if there's a turnover, sprinting um, back towards his own goals that, you know, your, your back is uh, to the ball trying to defend. Um, and then just looping, coming on loops and trying just such a, an array of different things that when you do look back and it's like, Jesus, that was clever, that was smart. Um, and there's a, there's a lot to be said about a player that is is outsmarting you <laughs> than kind of, okay, he bet me for speed there um, or just a simple dummy solo. Uh, but it was just general smarts of the game that uh, he knew what he was doing and why he was doing it. Um, whereas uh, that was something that really stood out w- with him. Great. Well, thanks a million for your time, um, Mickey. Thanks for having me.